Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. It says something about a brand that when you click on the about page on its website to get the backstory on the designer, a YouTube video of her boxing in the center ring at Madison Square Garden pops up, showing her winning her title fight in front of a sold out crowd. If nothing else, the footage clearly illustrates that designer Nelly Parto knows how to roll with the punches and has no intention of ever being down for the count. Which is a good thing, considering that her independent label finds itself in that ambiguous middle ground of no longer being a new brand on the rise, nor one that has achieved world dominance. Parto, which the designer launched in 2011, is one of those sleeper hit fashion houses. You know the ones I'm talking about. The brands whose names you whisper in the ears of only your closest friends when they ask you where you got that amazing, relaxed fit purple suit, or the dress with the architectural pleating on the bodice or strategically placed cutouts. Parto's aesthetic is one of modern minimalism, where the use of color and structural detail work help to elevate the understated foundation to a more refined realm. Nelly's design approach is perfectly understandable, considering that after graduating from Parsons, and just like with her boxing training, she put in the hours, days, months, and years learning her craft, working at Calvin Klein, Donna Karen, and John Varvatos for a cumulative 10-year stint before she decided to hang up her own shingle. Her slow but steady wins the race philosophy to fashion has worked well for Nelly. Only three years after launching her brand, she found herself making a profit, something that is almost unheard of in the industry. In 2015, she became a member of the Council of Fashion Designers of America, aka the CFDA, and 2019, according to the designer, was her best year yet, as she started to scale up her label, adding in new categories to her staple, work as hard as the women wearing them designs. Even the pandemic hasn't stopped her from moving forward with the launch this month of an e-commerce component to her website. Just on a technical side note, I did want to let all you listeners know that Nellie and I did our interview over Zoom video, so don't be surprised by a couple of very minor audio issues and the sound of Nellie's very friendly dog Mika barking with excitement while we chat. Also, if you happen to be more of a visual learner, feel free to head over to my signature YouTube channel to watch the video version of this podcast in action. Now, for all you future fashion designers out there, my advice would be to take a page out of Nelly's playbook. She launched her brand in the wake of the 2008 recession, but since then, she has continuously been punching above her weight to create a knockout brand that has the potential to go all the way. So Nelly, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, well, I'd like to start at the beginning. I just wanted to know when you first realized you wanted to work in fashion, when you realized that was a career that you could have, because I know you actually got a degree in, in business at San Francisco State originally before going on to Parsons, but even earlier than that, was that a calling beforehand or was it really when you hit the Parsons? Yeah, great question. Um, I've been fortunate in the sense that I was, you know, from a really young age, I think I was, you know, maybe around eight or nine years old, where I had 
known this was something that I was really passionate about and I kind of grew up, you know, in watching what was happening in the 90s with all these incredible shows and, and interviews where I would see Gianni Versace and Yves Saint Laurent and, you know, in the 90s when Todd Oldham and, excuse me, all these incredible designers were having such a um, unique time. And, uh, and it was actually, for me, you know, I, living it, I didn't realize what a uh, significant time it was in fashion and what a impactful decade it was. And uh, so I felt very fortunate to have the experience of growing up at that time and watching, you know, what was unveiling, unveiling itself in the industry at that time. And, and Calvin as well. I mean, for me, Calvin Klein was a brand that I had watched very closely and, and, and loved. So you actually didn't go straight into fashion design. You did something that I wish more fashion designers would do is when you went and did a business degree. So was that to placate parents or were you just really, really smart, like business first, pleasure after with the design aspect? I wish I could take the credit for that. Um, no, I had a, a family. You know, my father was an entrepreneur and, and also in the luxury space, he um, had a yacht dealership and he worked with this Italian manufacturer and worked very closely uh, and was one of the largest yacht dealers in the US and he, you know he started his business from the ground up you know my parents had left the revolution in, in Iran and you know my father had gone to high school and college in the East Coast and so he was quite familiar with the US and so half my family went to Paris and then the other half came to the US and when he came to the US he really had to start again from zero up and so he's always been an entrepreneur and I think that you know, so in the sense, I was guided by him. It wasn't a decision that I made on my own. Uh, you know, he said, I'll support you in terms of whatever you're passionate about. And if that's, you know, being a designer, then I'm 100% behind it. You just need to understand the complexities of business. And it was one of the best things I did because design is, and product is critical, but you have to understand what to do with that product. And, you know, there is a significant part that you don't really learn in school about, you know, the, the true business of fashion. And that's where the business degree has kind of come in handy at this point in my life. But I mean, that also along the same lines, unlike a lot of people who maybe not right now, considering the, the, the climate, but, you know, so many designers, particularly, you know, when you were coming of age, were like, I'm going to, you know, when that became the star designer thing, like, I'm going to launch my own brand right away and make it in the world and become like Galliano or Lee McQueen or whatever it might be. Whereas you went ahead and you took some time, you, you trained at Calvin Klein, you did some time at Donna Karen, you were John Barbados. So you didn't go straight out into launching your own brand. Was that because you didn't go, you were ready? Did you want to make those mistakes at a different house? I mean, what was the thinking behind that? What made you decide and go that direction? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really look at it as um, making mistakes. I just wanted to get exposure to different companies and, and also different size companies. And I think that, I mean, Calvin was the first job that I got out of Parsons. And it was an incredible team and an amazing time. And I, there was no way I could pass that up. And But I wanted the experience. I wanted to know what the interworkings were like on a on a level of Calvin, which was obviously a corporate company. And you know, it was going through the transition of being purchased by PBH and 
and even understanding the complexities of the licensing deals. And um, it was it was interesting for me to be there and just to understand the inner workings. And then Donna Karen, I had met Donna Karen when I was in college, actually, at a, a fragrance signing. I had stood in line just to be able to ask her a question. So, so you waited in line for with Donna Karen to see Donna Karen like to sign your perfume? Yes. So she had just launched um, a fragrance and she was at, I believe it was Macy's in San Francisco at the time and I was in business school there. I stood in line to meet her and, you know, I thought if I could ask her one question, you know, and I mentioned to her, you know, this is my dream. It's something I want to pursue. In the meantime, before I get to working in the industry or, or getting to uh, design school, what do you suggest I do in preparation for, for this dream I have? And she said, work as much retail as you can, you know, and she explained that it's critical to understand who your customer is and just to understand customer dynamics and, you know, the psychology. And uh, it was one of the best pieces of advice that she had given me. So when I had, um, when I was in Parsons, I was actually interning for her. So that's where I, you know, I got the opportunity to kind of come back full circle. I had actually told them the story when I got the job. But it was amazing also because even though, you know, this world of Ralph Lauren and Donna Karen and Calvin and the generation of these kind of American powerhouses, they were all so unique in their own right. And so it was really interesting for me to see the difference in how each company was operating and and just to be exposed to the inner workings as best I could, you know, being in my 20s at the time, you know, and well, what did you take away from those? So those those two, and then your other really formative was John Barbados. What, what would you say are like the kind of key pieces that you took away from that experience and brought into your own company when you launched in 2011? I mean, it's it's incredible, uh, incredibly valuable to be able to work in a different business and to see you learn a lot about what works, mm-hmm. also what doesn't work to inform you. Okay, these could be potential pressure points as you build a business. And I mean, John was a really incredible experience for me because it was obviously smaller business than Calvin and Donna, but Varvatos was scaling and and he had a very clear identity in terms of who he was, uh, his customer demographic. And, you know, he really embodied that. There was a true authenticity to who he who he was with regards to the product he was creating. And it was genuinely, you know, what he believed in. And there was a beauty in that as well, that I think on a smaller scale, you feel a little bit more impactful than, you know, when you get to kind of to the corporate level, um, even though, of course, there's no question that the DNA of Donna Karen and the DNA of Calvin was, I mean, very vivid um, and very clearly defined. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was interesting to be a part of a smaller company that was scaling quite quickly. Oh, so you've done Donna Karen, you've done Calvin Klein, you've done a genre, you've seen how to scale. Uh, You launched in 2011. Again, we're still feeling the ripple effects of the recession of, of 2008, 2009. Yes. What made you feel like this is the time for me to launch a brand, you know, and what did you feel was the part in the market that was missing that you felt you could really bring a voice to and a perspective to? Um, Ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) 
But to answer your question, you know, it's honestly ignorance was bliss. I didn't understand the difficulties of what was coming down the line with the economy in terms of what the retailers were going through. And so in a way, it was also the best time to start the business because I had to figure it out. I knew I had to take that leap and and just start it and, and, and go for it. And as much as it was terrifying and all of the things that I'm sure every entrepreneur feels when they, you know, first take that leap, it was in essence, in retrospect, one of the best times for me to start the business because I had to learn to, and as a matter of fact, it's helped me so much during, you know, what we're experiencing with COVID and the complexities of, and the challenges that businesses are are faced with because I started it in a devastating economic time. And uh, so I, I learned a lot and I learned to be very resourceful at that time. So as much as it was ignorance at the time, it ended up being, you know, fantastic and very knowledgeable experience for me to have started the business during that. Did you always feel like you wanted to have your own brand? Was was the other stuff like recon, working at the other places, like the research and that you were like, I'm always going to at some point launch my own brand. I have my own story to tell. Yes. I was always quite adamant and it was the dream for me, you know, and, and I always knew I wanted my own brand. And to answer your question about, was I looking at a specific niche that was open in the marketplace? You learn that, you know, I don't think you walk into it having it all figured out, you know, and I think that that's one of the lessons that I've learned over the course of these years is that you don't have to have it all figured out, you know, at the jump and in day one, I think, there's a process to even understanding your own DNA and working for houses that had such strong, you know, identities in terms of their design aesthetic is an incredible thing to walk into. And now having to do that for yourself and understand, well, what are my, what are my strengths and what is it that I bring to the table that is a niche in the marketplace or, you know, speaking to a certain um, audience. And I don't think you come into it sorting that out in day one it's very much a process and I think you know and it's an ongoing process I think it's just something about life that you're constantly learning about yourself and and um and and on many levels you know what you're good at and uh, as a designer I think most of us know where we where we're most passionate about and mine wasn't doing evening gowns you know, my, <laughs> my, my graduating piece out of Parsons was a white so, you know, I've always been, you know, into very clean architectural lines and quote unquote minimalistic approach. And um, so it's always been a part of who I am. And I think it's just about kind of honing your own your own abilities and then continuing to grow from them and, and learn how you can evolve. No, I agree that I don't think if you, I think if you wait until you know everything to start a brand, you'll never start a brand. I think you at some point you, <laughs> you just got to get out there. I mean, you know, yeah. quote unquote failures are part of the learning process. I think you actually learn sometimes more from those missteps than you do from your successes, but oh, I agree. I mean, but you were very successful. I mean, you were you were I think profitable after just three years. Is that right? Tell tell me how that yeah. happened. That's successful. You know, thank you. You know, the it, one of the things that I learned early on a lot of you know I I built the business on my own. I didn't have financial backers or any kind of investment, and you learn to sink or swim very quickly. You know, with your own money. So I realized. I think in our industry, there's a lot of, and it, I mean, here's a perfect time and um, what's going on in life right now. But I think there's a lot of excess and there. You know, I was seeing a lot of waste in these brands that I had, you know, worked for and across not, and not just businesses that I had the experience with, but across the industry, 
there's so much waste in development and so much waste in um, the manufacturing process. And so I've always kept a very edited line. I mean, even to date, you know, 10 years in, we still have a very tight edit when you come into, you know, each season with us. And I've always believed, you know, our, our drop-off rate going into manufacturing is less than 5%. So I think that this is something that I just kind of learned to figure out quite early on so that we weren't, you know, from a financial standpoint, wasting money and and then learning to make sure that we were utilizing, you know, our, our um, assets and how to build the business in a very organic and healthy way. And so we were always working within our means, which is not easy in our industry. Yeah, that's really not easy. That's definitely not the norm within the industry. You have so many brands. They're like, okay, we have to go show in Paris or we have to like, you right. know, have a, you know, we have to have a great PR team or this, that, and the other. How, talk a little to me a little bit about how you did actually build the, the brand. I mean, you talked about having a lot, you know, low waste and, but how did you get the word out about you? How did you build it? And especially, you know, kind of those tips and tricks that you could give startups or, or and young designers who are facing the dilemmas they are now, because you're in this interesting position. You're not a tiny startup. You've been in, in it for a decade. So you don't have that sexy new designer thing going on about you, you know, that's everybody loves to write about. And yet you're not a huge name either. So you're in this interesting middle space. And I'm curious to how how you exist comfortably in that space. You know, to answer your question in terms of where we are, I mean, 2019 was the biggest year in the history of our brand in terms of just revenue and, and um, profitability. And I think that I, I realized quite early on, especially in building a luxury business, there is no overnight formula. And I don't know one brand, to be honest with you, who has had overnight success, you know, and comfortable with being okay with enjoying the journey and not wanting to, you know, overnight be this. And most of the brands that do have the overnight success, so to speak, quote unquote, come crashing quite quickly. And I think the advice that I could personally give and the advice that was given to me is that you want a slow burn. And most importantly, wanted to make sure that the product was there. You know, I'm a very product driven person. And I think the way that I was able to build it and, you know, gain kind of the success we had with regards to the retailers, because we've got really um, fantastic retail partners has been very personal. You know, you do have to get out there and communicate the brand, communicate the product, communicate, you know, what makes you different from your counterparts or your adjacencies that you're on the floor with. And so it's, it is on some level very grassroots in terms of communication to, to your sellers, to your buyers, to the press, you know, but I wanted to make sure everything we did had integrity. It wasn't for me about just about finances or it was about the integrity of the product, the integrity of the brand, the integrity of, you know, how we were communicating. And so that was something that um, I know it takes time and I know, um, and, and it really is a, a journey in my eyes. So I feel, you know, we're, we're continuing to build it and, and times are changing. So we're evolving with them as well. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting, particularly for a brand like you said, yours, you would kind of define it as minimalist, but you have a, a great and interesting color palette. A lot of the, you know, you, it's minimalist, but there's always kind of a twist to the pieces that you that you have. There's always something that kind of makes them stand apart. Also, I think the the materials that I'm seeing that you use are also kind of the higher end and, and uh, you know, definitely clearly not mass. You're definitely very clear about that was was for you was that the important aspect of it because it's so minimal that you really be careful about the materials that you're using and where you're sourcing from absolutely we 100% of our materials are sourced in Italy and we do um, our manufacturing in Italy as well as um, in New York because it was important for me to support also local manufacturing in New York there's still 
these incredible contractors that were trained by actually Ralph and Calvin and Donna. And, and I thought it was, it's really important for brands to support and make sure that they're also still continuing to make a living and, and have a place in New York City. So we split on uh, the manufacturing. And then um, material-wise, I've worked with some incredible Italian mills that they've been trained generation after generation. It's usually family-owned businesses. And and I, I love the know-how and the knowledge and what they bring to the table and getting to partner with them. And they've been very generous to work, you know, with us and on our business. And um, so 100% material is one of the first points of what I look to when I'm in the design process, color and, and fabrication. So that's a big part of my personal process. Then let's talk about that final step, you know, the, the moment where they clicked to buy. I know that you, Neiman Marcus was a, a, you know, a definite hub for where you were selling. Are you thinking, how, what are you thinking about e-commerce and selling online and D2C? And I mean, because I figure you would have to pivot a certain amount uh, considering the, the current climate. What, what are your thoughts going forward as far as that's concerned? I think all brands have been aware of, you know, the importance of the direct-to-consumer model. I, as a matter of fact, we were building out our e-commerce uh, during this time, and we're actually going live with it in a week. Yes, so it's it's been a it's been something we've been working on for the past six months. So the timing was very interesting um, with everything happening in the world right now. But I, irregardless of the immediate impacts of what we're seeing as a result of um, the impact that COVID has had. It's been a time where I think it's critical. I think also the consumer is shopping in a different way. So it's important for brands to understand their consumers' needs and, and buying behaviors. And I think that clients also want to feel this connection to the brands and to the messaging of the brands. And so I think it's really important to have this connection that through social media and so many other channels is now available to us that in a way that 10, 15, you know, 20 years ago, it was not. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, that, I think that that's a, that's a very good point. I think storytelling is going to be crucial going forward because people are going to be buying, you know, because of what the brand stand for, stands for or the connection they feel with the brand as much as they will because they need a new, you know, suit or whatever. I think it's going to be much more who they feel at that fundamental connection to. And which also brings me to the point, I know we talked about this, you know, earlier, this idea of this uh, rewriting fashion, the codes, it's been something that some people in the industry have been talking about, like shifting when things actually drop into stores or, you know, the idea of having fashion shows or the idea of the when sales are going on, et cetera, et cetera. How, how do you, where do you fall on this idea of really shifting on this fundamental level, the, the way the fashion is done? I think it's critical. I think we have an opportunity right now to really shift the calendar that we all knew for so many years was dysfunctional. Mm. And here's an opportunity for us to really be more aligned with even the client's behavior and the consumer behavior and what's really going on in the months that are dropping. It made no sense to drop, you know, winter coats in the middle of, you know, the summer and, and vice versa. So I, I absolutely think it's a critical component that, you know, I'm constantly talking to our retail partners about um, as we speak and, and internally, you know, really looking at how we want to restructure market going forward and the deliveries and so this is something that we are taking very seriously and I'm hoping that the industry does take shape and does take form. I know Dries Van Owen has been a, a huge advocate of this and um, and I, I couldn't agree more. I want, I want to circle back around to the storytelling because I thought it was quite an interesting point when I was researching you for this interview that you had Karen Elson for your, your last two lookbooks 
And when you're talking about storytelling, I mean, she's a, a woman of a certain age who's got a, a life outside of fashion, you know, musical career, et cetera. I feel that there was a real intention when you picked her and just wondering kind of the backstory and the thinking behind that. When you talk about the muse for your brand, what was the thinking behind her and, and that idea of who the woman is for your, for your company? Yeah, that's a great question. We we really do take a lot of consideration in terms of who we are, you know, shooting for the collections. And Karen was 100%. For me, she represents the DNA of the brand. And I really um, very much uh, champion, you know, women who kind of march to the beat of their own drum. And, and she has this strength about her. And I really admire what she's created in her career and her musical career with her family. And you know, she has so many different dimensions going on in her personal life. And she's a very strong woman. And for me, that was, those are characteristics that embody and, and not only the brand, but it's something that I respect and um, have always aspired to be more like women that have this characteristic from, you know, from a very young age, I had a very strong mother and Karen to me is embodies all of these characteristics. And she's an incredible human being. So it was an honor to to work with her as well. Well, I mean, you're also a very strong woman. I, I'd be remiss not to, to go through this entire podcast with you and not talk about the fact that you're actually a competitive boxer on top of running your own business. So can you explain yeah. that a little bit to me? Because that is just <laughs> an interesting juxtaposition of career choices. So yes. tell me a little bit about that. And how does one, one talent influence the other? Oh, it's, it's such a big part of who I am. Um, it was random, to be honest with you. I was a teenager and uh, I just, I always was athletic, but I didn't really like going to the gym and I was getting bored. So I had walked past the studio. It was, I thought it was a cardio boxing class, but uh, you know, to my knowledge later, it was actually Team USA. Oh my God. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I had gone in and, you know, somehow convinced my mom to let me sign up because, you know, I think I was 14 or 15 at the time and ended up being pulled aside from one of the head trainers. And he said to me, you have what it takes to fight. And I thought he was crazy. I just, you know, the idea of getting punched in the face was not something I was looking forward to. It actually terrified me. And, but for some reason I was really drawn to the sport. I just, the more and more I was in there and, you know, I was watching live fights that we would go to with the, you know, the other fighters that were in the gym. And sure enough, you know, four months in, they had given me my first kind of, uh, it was called a smoke, they're called smokers when you're green, so to speak. And it was kind of your training wheels into fighting. And I fell in love with the sport. And it was something that I was consistently doing. Um, it was almost a second job, you know, I was at Parsons, I would be training six, seven days a week. Um, I was competitively fighting. By the time I was working for Calvin Klein, I had the opportunity to fight in Madison Square Garden. That's that was a really pivotal moment for me and a very cool moment. And, you know, I have to be honest, boxing has given me so much value in life and taught me so much about business that I think athletes as a whole can really relate to. And I think you have to have a certain level of discipline to be an athlete and, and a certain level of dedication. And it's no different in starting and building a business. And so there's a lot of parallels between the two sports. And But it was, I have some great stories of, you know, being in Madison Square Garden and 
you know, having my Calvin team there, having, you know, my Barbados team supporting me, it was a really, um, and my family, it was a really incredible uh, time for me. And I, I got to fight um, one of the, I don't know if you've ever seen the film, The Fighter, that Mark Wahlberg and yeah. Christian and Christian had won the Oscar for. So he was, um, you know, it was a portrayal of Mickey Ward, who was an incredible Irish fighter and in the Boxing Hall of Fame. And uh, I had actually fought his relative in Madison Square Garden that night. So And you beat her. I did beat her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that you talk about, um, you know, you said the sports as if the, your fashion, the fashion career is a sport as well as, as the actual boxing. Do you still, first of all, do you still doing boxing on the side? Do you still keep it up? I do. I still train. I don't, uh, I definitely don't competitively fight. I'm okay. too old for that now. <laughs> uh, but I think, I think fashion, the idea that running a fashion brand being, you know, a, a sport, like a high level athletic sport is very much a, a good analogy, a good comparison. Just before I ask you my five generic fashion questions, I wanted to ask you, so looking now, um, that you said 2019 was such a great year for you. Granted, everything's kind of up in the air now. What What's your goal at this point? Is it just to stay alive? I and mean, what do you What do you want to do going forward? What's your quote unquote five year plan? That's a great question. You know, I have to be honest with you. With regards to business, um, in relation to what's happening right now in the world, it's been nice to just stop. You know, I think when you're there's two parts to working in business. You're working either in your business, which is, you know, the day-to-day -day and, and the hustle and the constant go, go especially in our industry, as we all know, it's just nonstop. And, and then there's this part where you need to pull back and work on your business and look at it from a full 360 perspective. And I think it's not an easy thing to do for, I think, any business owner because you're usually kind of in the trenches with the day-to-day -day operations. So this time has been really valuable for me to kind of pull outside and see the business from a broader perspective in terms of how we can, how we want to evolve it and, and what opportunities are there. So, you know, I think it's going to be a challenging year for all industries across the board, but I think you've got to kind of look at that and, and realize, you know, there's definitely also uh, silver linings in there. And I think you just have to figure out on in an individual basis, what that is for your business and at this time and, how do you move forward from it and, and kind of look close enough. There's definitely a lot of opportunities and there's that resilience that comes from, you know, I think even just being a fighter, we just, we don't give up. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you, you got to keep moving. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. absolutely. No, I, I think that you're right. I think I've spoken to a number of different designers over the last couple of months who've all said that this has been a, you know, with every, you know, putting aside all of the heartbreak that's been going on, it's been a great time of reflection for them as far as, and, and time to work on their, their, their talent and their process and their business. So they really have been, that part of it have enjoyed it to a certain extent. All right, so I'm very curious to see what you have to say um, for my five generic fashion questions. So okay. um, my first question is, what is your favorite piece of clothing that you own? Well, that's a tough question. I love our, I, well, I have many. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I also love vintage, so I have a great deal of vintage um, collection. But from my own brands, the knitwear, I mean, we, 
I work with a lot of women that are hand knitters that work for the brand and the craft and the way that they kind of work with us. It's pretty incredible. I mean, it can take anywhere from 80 hours to 200 hours to make these sweaters and quite intricate. And so those knits feel really special to me, especially because of who's made them and the love that goes into the work that these women do. Well, I mean, that's definitely a behind the scenes story. You've got to start putting up all of your Instagram feed for sure. That That's definitely something to share with the world because I know people would love to know more about that. All right, yeah. I'll check your knitwear for sure. All right, so then sort of off of that, what, you know, not everybody has a lot of money to spend uh, on clothing, but if there was one piece you would recommend that a woman or a man invest in, like really put money aside to buy that particular piece, what would that be? In general, with regards to just, you know, any type of item? Well, I think also a, a really great, I'm going to go back to the knits, to be honest with you, because I think there's, I mean, both you and I are wearing one right now, you know, and so... I think that um, a really beautiful knit, and most people are, if you think about what you wear on a day-to-day basis, you're usually wearing a knit within your wardrobe, whether it's underneath a suit or, you know, back to a skirt or for men, back to trousers and a jacket or, uh, so I definitely feel like having a really beautiful kind of fine gauge sweater that you can transition from, you know, back to your denim all the way through to kind of in a more formal matter is a, is a good investment piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Who is your favorite designer, living or dead? Ooh, great question. I respect all designers, good and bad. Good just answer. Good answer. Of the, of the, of just knowing what they go through. Yves Saint Laurent was a very big inspiration to me. I, I mean, he's just an incredible talent and resonates. So I, if I had to choose one, um, can I choose two, Alaya as well? <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's a very lethal combination. I think those yeah. are, yeah, they're both, yeah. Clearly both men love women and love designing for women. I think those are good choices. Okay, second to last question. What trend will you never follow? I don't think anyone should ever follow trend, period. I think you should follow you, you know, and what works well for you as an individual. And don't worry about what the masses think is, you know, appropriate or in or, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate of just, you know, really kind of understanding what's best for you as an individual, what makes you happy, what brings you, you know, an element of joy with what you're wearing or living. And, and so I'm, I'm anti-trend. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I, I think also as women and men too, as you get older, you kind of figure out what works for you and then just buy that bulk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 All right, last question. What do you love most about fashion? Everything. I mean, even the good, bad. I mean, honestly, every component of it. I think, you know, being able to do what I love every day is the best part of, you know, I I don't really consider it a job. I feel like I get to build something with amazing people that I get to work with, not only internally with my own team, but even outside with the amazing talent from photographers, stylists, art directors, and individuals that we get to work with on a broader perspective. And and then the women I get to meet that we dress. I mean, I've met so many incredible human beings across the board. So I think that's the best part, you know, getting to do what I love. And then the people that I get to meet along the way that are also just incredible, inspiring human beings. I absolutely agree with you. Nelly, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Give Mika her chew toys. Is chew toys back? I know. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. Sorry, fine. That's great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks so much for taking the time, Jessica. I really appreciate it. 
Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.